So welcome to Journey. Welcome to our Wednesday night service. Welcome to church. So we're going to have a great night tonight. Give it up for the worship. Give it up to Willem for communion. Give another hand for Sally for amazing cooking. We're so blessed to have so many talented and gifted people here at this church and make this whole community into a family. So we're thankful that you've joined us here tonight. We are continuing on the Gospel of John. And we have a really fun but serious subject to teach about tonight. And we're going to be studying two of the people that we've been following since the start of the Gospel. We're going to talk about John the Baptist and Jesus. So we're calling this message, we got to be ready to be the wingman for Jesus. Thus, the Top Gun analogy. So stick with me. This whole message is going to be based around this idea that we get to be the wingman for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, so far, we followed Jesus, and he's been doing some things. He's made his way into Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple. He said amazing things about his ministry and what he's come to do and who's given him authority to do these things. Jesus has been clearing house. And now he's on the move because he's a, he's a preacher who likes to move. He doesn't want to stay in one spot and just reach the same people over and over. Jesus is on the move. So now he's going to the countryside and he's taking his posse with him. So, Jesus likes to move, he likes to be all over the place, and we're going to start tonight seeing where he is and why he's doing what he's doing. So, if you guys are able, we're going to get started early. Let's grab your Bibles, let's stand as we read from the Word of God. And we're going to read chapter 3, verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening that you want to spend time with us, that you want to have a family and community with us, that you want to teach us, and that you never settled, Lord, that you want us all to have these amazing things that you've promised to us. So we lift up this night to you. We ask you to come into our hearts and just open us up so we can hear your word. In your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So I want to hit this first verse that we were going through in verse 22, because I think this is important. This is something we need to, to talk about. And this is this whole idea about being a disciple. So what Jesus does... He's been doing his thing. He's been flipping tables. He's been preaching. He's been teaching. He's been telling all these things. He's showing what it means to love the world. It's telling what it means to accept them. Who's giving them authority. God has been telling them all these things, and he's just going. And the disciples are there alongside him, and they're getting to witness what's going on. But that's a lot to take in. It's a lot to see a ministry at work. So what Jesus does is hangs out with them. Because I don't know about you guys, when you see a celebrity or you see him on TV and you, you don't know what to do because it's like, well, I've seen him on TV. So you stand there kind of awkwardly if you see him out at the supermarket like with your mouth open. Uh, they're famous. What should I do? 
You don't know how to approach them. The disciples are going through this. Imagine being at the time with them. They're going around like, oh, no big deal, just the Son of God, cool. Like, they, are, they could be starstruck seeing all these miracles happen. He's just doing things on his own authority because God has blessed him with that authority. All these things are going on. And Jesus knows that it can be overwhelming. So he takes them out to the countryside, and he just hangs with them, teaches with them, talks to them. And what we see at the end of verse 22 is he actually is baptizing people with them. I think he was equipping them to do so. So he's just hanging out, teaching them, this is why we baptize, this is what we're doing. Let's just hang out and break bread together. Having fellowship, discipling, teaching. What we're supposed to be doing is hanging around people, talking about Jesus, and learning from the ultimate teacher. That's my end of spiel on discipleship. Go ahead and look more into that. Um, I don't want to go on too much of a bunny trail. But to finish out text in 22, it says he was baptizing people there. And this is important for what we're going through tonight. In verse 23 and 24, it says, At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Enon near Salem, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. This is a random verse that we just went through. But it's one of my favorite ones when I, whenever I read through this, because I'm a strange person, it just like jumps out to me, because imagine walking out with John. He's saying he's he baptizing people because there was plenty of water around. Imagine being John's friend, you're just walking around after a big rainstorm, and there's all kinds of puddles around, you're like, oh no, John, don't. He's like, look, water, let's baptize. That's the type of guy he is. He's just excited to do his job that he's been destined with from God. So he's baptizing people because there's a bunch of water. But I had some questions moving forward. Because this is going to be a big part of our text. Because we now see that John and Jesus are baptizing around the same time near the same place. So there's a turf war going on. We got the Crips and the Bloods. We have Boston and New York. We have Iceman and Maverick. Two people that should be working together, but for some reason have been put against each other. And I have some questions. Why is it a big deal that they're baptizing together? near each other. Why are people still coming to John if Jesus has already come? And why did the Apostle John write this into his gospel that this was before he was thrown into jail? Well, you guys asked really good questions, so I guess we'll cover them. <laughs> this is what I think, is that people came to John the Baptist because on their way to Jesus, I know if that was me, I'd have to get a little psyched up to get the experience. Like, I'm going to see Jesus Christ. So I'm going to stop at John's place first so I can get an understanding of what I'm walking into. So I think he was still paving the way. He was still letting people, he's not going to turn people away. It's like, hey, all right, you want to hear more about Jesus? Let's get this whole process started. So I think John is just continuing to do his job. And the apostle John, a lot of John's in here tonight, is mentioning this because in Matthew and Mark, just a little back history, 
we're able to see that Jesus' ministry starts moving forward, and it states in those books, it's when John was put into prison, and Jesus found out, and he started moving forward. So we're able to see that at this time, they are still hanging out. So this is beforehand. And lastly, this is a big deal, because for a very short period of time, they are doing ministry together. Imagine doing ministry, baptizing right next to Jesus Christ. How amazing. But even though we are able to do some good things, other things pop up. In verse 25, it says, A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Competition. When it doesn't need to be a competition. A competition is something where the two rivals are going against each other. Does that sound anything like what Jesus had in mind? And I think over and over again with our theme today, I think Iceman and I think Maverick. Because that's just the way human nature is for us. I'm a very competitive person. I can remember back in high school when I was just starting off and I wanted to be the best baseball player ever. And I thought in my head that I was the best. So when I stepped on that field and I saw this other guy that was buff and he had a bunch of cool friends around him. And I actually watched a few of his practices. He was striking everyone out. And when he wasn't pitching, he was hitting homers. He, had, he didn't have good grades, but the teachers passed him anyways because, you know, he's cool. And he had all these friends. He walked around with a chip on his shoulder. And I just wanted to be so much better than him. I was over that guy. And so I trained even harder, and I trained even more, and I wanted to get even faster, and I wanted to be smarter, and I wanted to be stronger, and I wanted to have even cooler friends, even though our friends were the same friends, but I could add one random person to be even cooler. I wanted to be better than him, so I worked my butt off and made it this competition to be better than this guy until the season started, and we walked in the dugout together, and I sat right next to him that he was my teammate, that we were actually working together now to beat everyone else. Sometimes we just need to realize what team we're on so we stop trying to let these bad things creep in. This is very similar to what John's disciples are doing. Yes, we're playing for the same team. They are following John as he's baptizing people and paving the way for Jesus. And Jesus is over here explaining his ministry and what's going to happen, and yet they're turning it into a competition for some reason. They're the same team for the same goal. It's what we bring up in our emotions that sometimes keeps us away from all the glories that Jesus has for us. And that's going to start us with our first table talk tonight. I want to dig into what we're doing in our lives. Are you working for Jesus or against Jesus? 
Is there any area in your life where you need to realign your focus and work together with God instead of against him? It's not a bad thing. This is a natural thing. We're able to get it out in the open. We're able to talk about it. We're able to, to have flaws and fix them. This is what Jesus is all about. So I want us to take some time, open up, start talking around your tables, and I'll bring you back together after a few minutes. So he finishes off with that last verse you read that they're complaining everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John's disciples return to him frustrated and upset. And not about the, the Jew, they were just having a talk over what it meant to be cleansed and everything. No, they're actually sound like they're frustrated at Jesus and what he's doing. They're distressed that Jesus and his disciples are more successful than they are. And they're also frustrated that it seems like when they went and they spilled this off to John, he's like, yeah? That he's not dealing with the situation. He doesn't have a remedy for it. He's just going along with it. They want to have the biggest and best baptizing ministry business there is. They feel like it's a competition to see who's the best baptizer, who's the best leader, who has the most people. You know, the enemy can use so many things to bring us back to the other side. He doesn't want us moving forward. So we use these, all these things that he knows can get into our skin, whether it be our egos, our pride, our anger, our stubbornness. The enemy wants to sneak and get us off track in any way that we can. That even though these, that John the Baptist and his disciples were doing God's work, he's trying to turn them against them and turn it into a competition. Never mind that they're doing really cool ministry things. Now they're saying, no, we dunked way more people than they have so far. So people should still be coming to us. We are all meant to be on the same team looking towards Jesus. And this is a church thing. That we need to band together as churches and I'm happy to say that, that Journey does a really good example of this. But, yeah, pat on the back. <laughs> but this is not going out to us. This is going to every church that's holding another Wednesday service alongside this church. Or every church having a Saturday service. Or every church that has a Sunday service. Whether it be in Camarillo, if it be down the street, if it's across town, if it's in Texas, it's in Hawaii. We are all working for the same goal and we're all working together. This is not meant to be a competition to see who has the most, who's doing the most, and who deserves the biggest pat on the back. We are all fighting the good fight. We are all answering the call. Do not let the enemy come in and try to twist what we are doing. Don't fight your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We have enough to worry about. We have enough to fight with. We have enough to battle. This would be our home and our safe place. We need to band together and start rising up together 
for the good of what God has for everyone. This is not meant to be an episode of Family Feud. And it's tough because a lot of leaders or pastors, they want to have the most gigantic church there is. And they'll count how many people they saved and how many people they baptized and how many people come to their services and they keep track of each thing and they'll go out and broadcast that we're the absolute biggest monumental church ever. We save more people. We do all this stuff, but it's not even them. It's God saves more people. God <laughs> redeems more people. God's the Savior. So everything that we're doing as a group, whether it be pastors, worship leaders, youth leaders, church, congregation, we are all the same thing. We just should be excited to be a part of what God's doing and the movement moving forward. No more competitions like these disciples are trying to bring forward. And John says some pretty powerful things moving forward. So he breaks it down for him. I can just imagine that conversation because I've, I've said stupid things before. It's a shocker. But I know that authority figures will look you right in the eyes and they'll give you like, boy, did you mess up. Let's have a little conversation. So he just starts talking to him in that voice. In verse 27, this is John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. John's telling him, don't look at me. Don't lift me up. I am only here to prepare the way. You lift him up. You point everyone to his direction. He's the one that needs to be exalted up. I have nothing that makes me want to be the absolute best. I am here only doing God's work. What are we looking at personally? What are we lifting up rather than lifting up Jesus Christ? And he uses a beautiful image in verses 29 and 30 to kind of just explain who John and Jesus are as this team moving forward. He says, It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John is Jesus' wingman. He is there for him because he knows who gave him this opportunity. He knows whose side that he is on. He says that he is just the friend simply glad to see it all happen. And I can remember back to my wedding day. And our photographer got this great picture. That's my best man. And he has a smirk on his face because he gets to be a part of something that I was looking so forward to. That I found my love of my life and he's just like, All right, way to go, Dustin. He's super happy, and he's just happy to be there and have my back and be a part of the situation and see how we get to grow and do all sorts of things. He is a true friend because he's happy standing back and giving the spotlight to someone else. That is what John's ministry is all about. He doesn't want to be up front. He wants to stand back, and he's so filled with joy 
seeing Jesus doing what he's doing, seeing all the lives that are about to be changed. He's happy to just be a part of it and hear Jesus. What a great wingman. The moment that Jesus and John the Baptist crossed paths, the job had been fulfilled for John the Baptist. The joy that could come forward from doing an excellent job. It's so amazing. And verse 30, man, this is a powerful verse. And this is something that we got to write in our Bibles. We got to underline it. We need to post it everywhere we can. We need to have daily reminders of this. Because verse 30 says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. That's tough for a lot of us. Because we like running the show. We like being the best pilot. We like flying at breakneck speeds. I have more need for speed. I want to be there doing all these crazy barrel rolls, being the absolute best pilot. But God, he does so much. He can do it way better than we can ever imagine. It's so tough for us to turn it down sometimes. But I got to tell you, the more that God is able to come into our lives, the more we're able to turn that factor up, the less chances we have to stumble and fall. Because he has our back. He is going to guide us. He is going to do the things that we could never imagine. We fall. He does not fall. We take the wrong course sometimes. He stays true. This is who we need to follow. This is who we need to bring up there. This is the greater part that we need. We got to drop the egos and pride and start lifting him up where he's supposed to be. So that's our next table talk. Where in our lives do we need to be less and need God to be greater? And where do we need a heavy dose of God? This could be one of the first steps that we need to start moving forward is where we can start turning down each and every one of us and bringing God to be greater in the situations that we have in life. So go ahead and take a couple moments with this one. All right, I'm going to tell you guys where in my life I need to be less and less. Where do I need a heavy dose of God? Every single morning that I wake up, I need to be less and less. I need more of God. Every single day that I wake up, I want God to be in the forefront making decisions for me. Because I know he's the one that knows best for me. And how does he know what's best? Well, let's hear what John says about this. In verse 31, it says, He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. As I said a few weeks ago, we are meant to be the hype man and the ring announcer for Jesus. He has so many things to offer. So many people need to hear about what he has for them. 
what he's able to see, who he is. They need to know who Jesus is. This isn't something that I like to keep secret either. This isn't kept under lock and key that we don't have to tell anyone about Jesus. We have a Savior that saves. We have a Redeemer. We have someone that changes lives. We have someone that comes in and is able to cleanse this awful place and say, let's do this together now. He has someone that wants to change the entire world, but we get so fixated on stuff where we stop looking at him that we keep making ourselves bigger and make him less, where we start worrying more about material things and money and all these unimportant things in our lives that aren't going to matter anything. We were just passing through here. He's seen where we get to go. He sees what we get to be a part of. We're looking at the wrong place. He knows what's in store for each and every one of us and how glorious it is. But still, how few believe what he tells them. It's sad. But let's finish out our text with some good news, the first part at least. In verse 33, it says, Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone, I'm going to say that again, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Now call me crazy, but it's a pretty easy decision. Eternal life, angry God place. I want to go with eternal life. So we need to get out there and start saying all these things. There's one answer to the question of this eternal life, and the answer is Jesus. Where we get to spend eternity, all the things that we will get to be a part of and see, the answer is Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? Are we ready to answer that question to someone coming up to you? Someone lost. Someone that hasn't accepted him as their Lord and Savior. Do you have an answer of who he is? It's something to, to start thinking about. What I tell people, he's everything. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the path to the next direction. He is everything. He's our covering. He's our Savior. He's come to set the captives free. He is able to do things that put him up where he should be. The key to our future, the key to the gospel, the key to everything is Jesus Christ. So we need to be that wingman to Jesus. We need to go out there and start telling people. If so few believed it when he said it, we have even harder to work. We need to be ready. We need to have the answer to who Jesus is. And as I was saying this, I was just feeling like there, was, there may be one or two people that, that haven't experienced this yet. So I'm going to give us a chance when we pray that, to say a prayer to bring him into our lives. I feel like it's something we need to do tonight. But I encourage you guys, brag about Jesus. Come up here, 
dressed in a funny outfit and make fun and have fun and tell people about Jesus because you're going to reach someone some way. It doesn't have to be just serious. You're able to have fun and tell people because if I'm enjoying life, it's all because of Jesus and I want people to see that. So I want us to go out, band together with other churches, band together with your fellow believers, band together with your family, stop with the egos and the competition, and let's see how many people that God can bring into his kingdom and we get to help out with them. That's what it's all about. Let's take the spotlight off of us and put it off to the one who deserves the light and is the light. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for all your teaching and your patience with us. How you want to walk with us and teach us and disciple us and bring people into our lives that can help shape us, Lord. I just feel like there's some people that are ready to start moving that may feel a little lost. Lord, I ask them to just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I am sorry for the past. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Be my King of Kings. I know that you died for me and rose again. Now we get to have the blessings of eternal life with you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. I thank you that you're going to give us the power to just go off and start spreading this gospel together. We thank you for the blessings that you're actually bringing us along for the ride. Some of us, we may not know what to do, but just bring us alongside you, Lord. Let us see that light and let us see how we can help in any way possible. The way that you anointed John to showcase you is what we need to do. We are ready to be your wingman. We are ready to just be a part of life with you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.